Hello and welcome to the Leadership and Insurance podcast. This is the podcast where we discuss what leadership looks like in the modern insurance business. We talk to insure tech leaders and founders, innovators and change agents from the insurance industry. We also talk to thought leaders from outside the industry, such as organizational psychologists, performance coaches and investment professionals. Anyone who can add value to the conversation on how to lead insurance businesses of the future. Good morning and welcome to the Leadership and Insurance podcast. I'm your host, Alex Bond, and I'm very lucky today to be joined by Stuart Winchester of Marble. Stuart, how are you doing? How's it going? Good morning. I, uh, I'm glad to see you. Yeah, uh, good. Well, look, I'm glad you joined in the brews because we, uh, uh, we are joining in the afternoon, but we release this in the morning. As, uh... I know, I know. Exactly. Well, it's morning here. It's morning here. So I'm, I'm playing it straight down the middle on this one. That's true. It's just me being disingenuous. Yeah, exactly. I'm, I'm so far skating easy on this one. <laughs> um, well, Stuart, look, thanks for coming on the podcast. I really appreciate it. And, um, you know, we start this in the traditional format. Um, you know, Marble um, is a business that, that, that I know, but mainly through you. But um, people out there might not be because it's, it's a relative at the start of the journey. So please explain, you know, what Marble is and what you guys are trying to achieve. Yeah, absolutely. We definitely are early in the journey. Um, so Marble is, is is sort of a set of technologies, but we put it together in two ways. And I think it's probably easier to understand it in the two ways that you can actually interact with Marble rather, rather than all the technologies. So happy to talk about those too. We have marblepay.com, our consumer website. Anyone can go set up an account. What we do there is we sort of... Um, have built this one hub for your insurance or digital wallet for insurance and insurance documentation. Mm-hmm. We pull automatically insurance documents in, give people and families a place to organize all of their insurance documents across property and casualty, life and health, and hopefully even into warranty title, some of the more esoteric forms of protection. Uh, and then we also deliver rewards for that. So we give people rewards for seeking their insurance, for referring friends, for taking quizzes, surveys, and down the I mean, we've only been live since April of this year, but down the line, we'd like to give people rewards for even embedding safe driving behaviors within the Marvel application, making payments, you know, a lot of kind of exciting things, basically bringing insurance into one digital account, the way you have Mint or Robinhood for your stocks or Mint for your budget. Then we take all that technology that we built for that, and we also deliver it to carriers. Um, and we'd like to deliver it to brokers too, but we haven't done that yet. But we do deliver it to carriers today. Uh, and we build sort of white-labeled or co-branded uh, reward and engagement programs for, for them using our points technology and our behavioral technology. Um, so we have both live today. Um, and it's been, uh, it's been very exciting. We're, we're a very small team. Uh, you know, we're only eight today. Um, and we're, I think we're, I think we're punching above our weight. But, um, but we, we've been around just about it, just over a year. And we've had the product live for under six months. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Thank you. Um, that's, yeah, I, I love the way that you put that as well, because it already starts to kind of lead me down the lo- a line of kind of thinking about the separation of kind of, uh, the customer experience versus the technology and it, it, it's it's kind of refreshing that that's the kind of conversation that we seem to have now because I think previously um, you know heavy focus on the technology which by all means is what enables you to deliver that kind of value proposition to the customer but customers don't care right they, 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 I yeah <laughs> could not agree more 
Yeah, like as, as a consumer, I was thinking about this this morning. I, I had a software that I bought for my business and it was a CRM software. Uh, and essentially the person that sold it to me was, was trying to tell me why it was so clever and essentially I was so stupid and because I was struggling to use it and I was like, I, I don't really care how it works. It just needs to work. <laughs> it just needs to work. It just needs to work. I mean, this is a, this is maybe is a little bit of a, a tangent, but, or maybe not, but, you know, one of the sort of founding ideas of Marble, like where Marble came from is I, so I used to work at a company called better.com. Yeah now sort of an online housing platform, home ownership platform. But when I, when I started there in 2018, it was really a mortgage company mm -hmm. to sort of fast forward. Basically my, my job there was, I became the general manager of their insurance vertical. So I stood up the home insurance practice, became a licensed agent, built this national practice uh, that sold insurance through the mortgage funnel. But to this conversation, you know, I would, I was, you know, we eventually had a whole team of agents across the country and whatever, but I was the first agent, right? I like got licensed and I, so I would be on the phone with people and I, you know, we built these deep, beautiful integrations with Lemonade and Hippo and, you know, other third-party providers. And I'd get on the phone with customers and I'd be like, pretty good, right? Like you're getting these, this is a, that's a bindable rate online. Took a lot of work and people would be like, yeah, whatever. I don't care. Like, like this price, this price is bad. Or like, well, what about my coverage? And I'd be like, wow, yeah, they don't care at all that it took like this data model to beautifully parse an appraisal document and place it into Lemonade's quoting API and pull it back because they're already like booking flights online, opening bank accounts online, trading crypto online, mm -hmm. you know, doing all, and so it's like, they don't care. They just mm -hmm. want it to be good and to work. And we were, you know, patting ourselves on the back because we built this like better mousetrap. Ultimately, it still came down to the main things like pricing, customer service, coverage brand recognition mm -hmm. so yeah so you just want it to work I, I, and no it's not attached at all but and i think that's really interesting because i know when we spoke before um you were surprised by the popularity of of like the most simplistic part of something you delivered at better wasn't it the, the sort of wallet there was a sort of wallet mechanism or something it, exactly yeah it was, yeah. it was, we just built these web hooks that were, you know, we, we went to Lemonade and to Hippo and, and a couple other partners and we said, look, um, we, for the, for the mortgage, we need that insurance document back instantly because our underwriters need to look at that insurance document and make sure there's enough coverage that matches the Fannie Mae guidelines for underwriting. Mm -hmm. So we really can't sit around and wait for your agents to bind it and email it. We need it to come instantly. So our engineers worked with, and Hippo and Lemonade were fantastic, and we set up these webhooks that the moment a policy was bound, the most current document came back, and even if you went in and changed your policy, we webhooked the new policy back. And that was the part where customers were like, wow, I do not know where any of my insurance is. I'm going through this mortgage. You're asking me where all, especially if it was a refinance. It's like, you're asking me where this stuff is. My husband, my wife put it in a drawer. I'm taking photos. I'm scanning it. I'm asking my agent. I don't, you know, I know where my W-2 is. They could just log, log into their employment platform. I know where my stock portfolio is if they had to give their assets. But then they're like, they were like, you asked me for my insurance. I don't know where it is. And that was sort of for me. And there's a lot of founders with stories like this. I was like, that could be a whole product. Yeah. And in some ways it was about half of, it was sort of one of the two pillars with rewards being the other one hmm. that ended up becoming Marble. Mm. Uh, and and I wanted to, well, I wanted to ask you what you think. What did that tell you about insurance? Here? Like, um, and 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 to, to sort of broaden this out a little bit, um, 
do we do the simple things in insurance badly or do we not do the simple things? I, I would, I would love to have like an hour long conversation about that question. <laughs> first of all, cause I could, I, I'm like, my, my mind has gone like in a million sort of like, you know, Marvel superhero gone in a million different directions. But, um, but I, I would argue I reserve the right to change my mind if someone smarter than me changes has the other opinion. <laughs> sure. That we don't do this, we just don't really do the simple things, and maybe we don't do them that well as well. But I, I think prime in order of operations, and and why I would argue that is like in the fundraising journey for Marvel, a very common response from the venture capital market was people don't want to engage with their insurance. Why are you building this thing? No one wants to touch it. No one wants to look at it. It's not stocks. It's not crypto. It's not assets. It's not whatever, whatever, because people don't want to engage with it. And only about halfway through the fundraising process, as we started getting traction, did I develop a response to that critique, which was like, could you give me an example of a time we've tried to engage people with their insurance? And most investors would sort of be flummoxed. They'd be like, well, I don't know, actually. I guess we've never really tried. And it's like, yeah, maybe we just haven't asked the question yet. And I think that comes back to your point of, do we just not do the simple things? I think like insurance is deeply esoteric. It's old, it's complex, and it's high stakes. You know, the, these we're talking about massive, uh, diversified risks with huge losses in a changing risk environment. And I think this swirling amount of complication and people who've been really entrenched in that complication and people who have been traditionally entrenched in that complication and expressing it in a human-to-human -human sales process, there are a lot of smart people in insurance, but I think that whole environment does not set insurance up to just deliver something really simply. Mm. And what I, what I always think about, you know, I like possibly going to get myself into like light securities problems here, but like, I remember when I was, when I was like in high school, I was like, oh man, I think I want to figure out how to like trade stocks. So I like made in like, you know, 2005 or 2006, I made like a TD Ameritrade account and you had to like mail a scan of your ID and you had to like, it was so painful. Yeah. And it was literally just like a, basically like a stock traders UI put onto a website. And then they were like, now anyone can sign up, which was a disaster. Then you go to Robinhood and you're like, it's just simple. It's intuitive. Mm -hmm. it's, it's done again. It's built from the human perspective out. And then they figured out how to make it work in the ecosystem, not the ecosystem coming to the consumer. Mm. So I, I would just argue that I just don't think we've done that inversion yet in insurance. Mm. Um, and we don't do, we don't make it simple yet. Yeah. And I, and I, I think I, I spoke about this on, on, I'm trying to think who, we spoke about this slightly on the podcast and there's something that about the complexity of the regulatory environment, the changeable risk environment, and managing insurance at a macro level uh, yes. that requires complication. And the, the industry set up very well to manage that and manage that kind of risk reward ratio. It's like manage the kind of regulatory environment. The challenge then becomes that we forget that when you filter all that insurance down um, to the individual consumer, it's not fit for purpose. Um, and, and, yes. and one of my guests and... Um, I can't decide whether it was the guys from Beesurance or it was an um, element, but we talked about, I think it was um, Herman from Beesurance was talking about that realistically the consumer or the customer in insurance for a long time has been the broker. 
So yeah. sophisticated seller to sophisticated buyer. And, and then when you look at the individual kind of level, personal lines, um, insurance, it's not been built for that person, really. It's almost yep. like we offer it, um, but you know, it's not been thought about it that. So it's no surprise to me that that change is starting to happen, but it's happening from people that are joining from, from outside the industry. Um, yeah. I, 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 you know, I think there's, there's like two responses I have to that. One is that I think it's worth acknowledging that some of this friction, some of the friction in, I, and this is maybe an opinion, not a statement of fact, but some of this friction in equities trading, some of this friction in home finance, some of this friction in insurance probably exists. I want to say friction, like changing regulatory, all the things you listed, changing regulatory environment, changing risk environment, probably exists for a good functional reason, right? There should be some friction. We do not want to see a new carrier launch who's like, wow, I figured out that I could just sell everyone in Long Island on the coast really cheap policies because then they're going to get wiped out in the next hurricane. And there are reasons that we have friction in this space because, again, the stakes are high. Mm. You're talking about people's net worth, their assets. You want to get it right. Um, I do agree, though, that you are seeing that's what, I mean, this, the second point, though, is that friction can still exist but it's not being communicated in any way that consistently to the end consumer. And I mean, I think another example of this that I see, which is, which is so kind of funny when you start to make this mindset shift is, you know, with Marble, like what we do is like, we put all people's insurance into one account. And we, because I mean, I'm an insurance person, sort of, I mean, only for a few years, but enough now I've drank the Kool-Aid. Yeah. I was like, okay, we're, I was like, Hey, our CTO is like, let's start with property and casualty and then we'll move to life and health. So we were like home, auto, pet, blah, blah, blah. Now, all of our users then came in and were like, where, why can't I add life insurance? And we're meanwhile, like working on like pet insurance, which way fewer people have. Mm-hmm. And we were like, oh, well, that's in the life and health vertical. Because in the US, it's regulated property, casualty and life and health. Mm-hmm. Consumers don't care. Yeah. It's all insurance. Yeah. They don't. They don't know that it's two different testing licenses or it's two different regulatory structures. Like that's completely abstract to them. So again, like brokers cared about that because they sold different units. But to your point, if you now swap the broker for Stuart Winchester, random consumer person, it's just insurance. I just want it all in one place. It just protects the stuff I care about. Mm. Um, and we haven't. Again, I don't think that mindset shift has really trickled all the way down yet. No. No, and, and and because it would it requires coordination on an industry level as well, and that and that's yeah. you know the resistance towards the opening banking environment. Um, yes, it, 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 that's still going to sort of play out, but that's it's certainly starting to change. Um, talking about kind of you know more macro level challenges, um, something that I was you know made aware of is that reward is quite difficult to do and achieve in the US regulatory environment. Um, so I just wanted to, to sort of understand your journey to where you got to. Did you look to other geographies, other countries for inspiration? Um, are there other kind of companies or countries that do it particularly well? Reward. Yeah. So I, I, um, I'll start with the second part of the question, then I'll, I'll wind back to the U.S. context. But um, I, I've looked a lot at uh, Australia and the U.K. Mm-hmm. for places and, and I think some EU markets too that touch on rewards or include rewards components um, and some examples that come to mind I'm actually 
struggling. I mean, I know I touched on like, I remember looking a lot at, it's not an insurance company, but looking at like Ibotta, mm-hmm. which I think is a, possibly UK or they may be US with the UK presence. I can't remember, but they're like a, they, they offer like, you know, rebates on purchases. And then I remember looking at, and they just raised some money. I remember looking at Hedvig in, I, I think they're a German company, but they, or they're an EU based company and they don't really have a rewards component, but they have like a referral component and they do all the insurance in one account. And then I've actually had some phenomenal conversations with them. Um, a head of innovation based in Australia for um, uh, what is it? It's RCA insurance in Australia, I think. Yeah. Is that right? Yeah. Not RAC. That's the, that's something else. Uh, yeah. Our, our, no, RAC insurance. <clears throat> and uh, we just got connected on LinkedIn and they have been, um, and, and, and Brad, who I've been talking to there has been like a phenomenal sort of thought partner in this in many ways, because they've really been thinking about this quite proactively. Um, and when I say this rewards engagement, rewards engagement, ongoing engagement, retention, cost reduction, um, and doing it in a way also that, you know, is critically not discriminatory or price fixing or any of that stuff. And that to bring it back is a little bit of the U S context, right? Like there's two key things from, to sort of keep in mind about the regulatory context in America. One is that America is a fairly young, nation um, and insurance predates it by many, many multiples of, of decades. Um, and two, um, as, so I think we're still maturing in some ways. And two is that we're regulated on a state level, right? So I think in the US we have 51 or 52 insurance regulatory bodies because Puerto Rico and I think DC have their own insurance ter- jurisdictions as well. So you have this like federal level and then you have all these different like little fiefdoms of, of regulation. And in the U.S., where this rebate law comes from, is from the selling of life insurance. I believe historically, what you might have seen is people, uh, in life insurance agents, giving their basically incentivizing you, Alex, to buy insurance from me. And I was like, I'll give you my first year commission, or I'll split my first year commission for you. Mm-hmm. And what that could, what that had, what that led to, about a century ago, was typically like white men soliciting other white men and giving them better sort of rates of their commission, which made it harder for non-white men to get life insurance, which was horribly discriminatory and unfair. Mm-hmm. So that's where the, the, re- the regulation comes from. In the US, I, I would argue, and we're starting to see this due to COVID, there's a growing awareness, as there has been in other markets, that you can still offer well-defined, discrete incentives for things that actually make everyone better risk, more manageable mm-hmm. and better customers uh, without touching, you know, with, at Marble, we don't know anything about our customers' demographics really, right? Like we don't, and we don't have different levels of rewards. Anyone can get the same rewards for anything, right? So um, so it's just a maturing marketplace as the conversation, as the conversation develops. Mm-hmm. Um, I wanted to talk to you about your journey for investment because, um, um, mm. Let, get, let me get the number right. How many people did you pitch to? Uh, oh my goodness. Uh, I think like 106, 106, maybe maybe even more than that. It might've even been more, but uh, it, I, the number I have in this blog post, I, I'm still actually writing, but this, or this, I gave a presentation to the team. It was 106 distinct funds. Yeah. Probably closer to like 120 conversations. Yeah. Um, but uh, it was... A lot. 
Yeah. Uh, and it was all, it was in the peak of COVID. So it was like on Zoom, like this, the way you see me now is how um, many of the greatest minds in, in Silicon Valley in New York have, have and, and in the middle, uh, really anywhere have, have seen have seen me, which is just on <laughs> Zoom pitch, pitching them marble. So yeah, it was, it was, it was a lot of conversations. I imagine that must be so much harder. Um, and that's something, I don't know why I've, I've not really thought about it so much, because I think I've been, you know, most of my working life is obviously on the recruitment side is dealing with people that have got post-investment because, you know, without being a mercenary, they kind of need some money to pay for themselves. Yes. That's the way it works. Um, so they've kind of gone through the pain. So most of the people have been working with during the pandemic. But what's it like to do that without being in the room? Because you, you must get so much feedback in the room, as we know you do, like buying signals. It must have been a bit harder. But then arguably... Do you know any different if that's the experience you had? I, 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 I don't know. I'm, I, it would be a lot to say I'm excited for our next round of fundraising because I don't know that I have recovered yet enough, but I am interested to do it probably more in person. Yes. Um, I was pretty, not in like a leadership position, but I was very involved and very in the room during a lot of betters fundraising. So I have, I have done that, some of that in the room fundraising. And what I will say is, um, the negative is exactly what you described. It's very hard to read body language, even even with cameras on, right? It's very hard to um, evaluate engagement, to read sort of what are hard to perceive clues about people's reactions to distinct parts of your message. Um, and because I did pitch, you know, multiple times, right? I was iterating the message uh, between pitches um, and I think that candidly, I was probably 50 to 25% slower. It took me a lot more feedback because it was more diffuse to mm-hmm. learn when, hey, drop this slide, pivot this message, mm-hmm. move this up. Because for every slide, for every pitch where you get someone who's very engaged and you can tell via their engagement that they're reacting to something, you get a camera off, you get someone who's doing email, you get someone who just, you know, is stone faced, whatever it is, mm-hmm. um, because you kind of need to like, over it's like acting like on zoom you kind of need to like over express yourself to like really get that feedback across so that that um i'm, I'm excited to do it in person because i'm a i'm a, i like to think of myself as someone who you know cares about people's reactions so i'm excited to like watch people's reactions in the room um the flip side i will say for any other like founders or really anyone who goes through this process is you can just like do no travel i mean it was like 40 minutes, 40 minutes, 40 minutes. Like, I mean, that it was a lot of pitches, but the, our whole fundraise took like three three months. Like it wasn't wow. like, like, cause, and it was exhausting. And my poor wife who was working from home at the time had to, like had, has heard the Marvel pitch 106 times. <laughs> but, um, but like, you could just close one Zoom, take a quick walk around the apartment, talk, pitch the next VC. So that, that is the nice thing is that it was fairly, um, it didn't, uh, impact the business operations too much because I was still able to be kind of like here and present and not, uh, you know, traveling through airports all the time. Sure. Yeah. And that's good. I mean, I think if we, if we go on the kind of fail faster principle for good development, it, it, it almost follows that because if it's, if, if a pitch is not going to go your way, if they're not going to be interested, at least you've not invested that kind of two days out of your time where you had to fly to another part of the country to do that. And, and that, and look, I'm sure there's plenty of times you do this as well. Um, I can only imagine it's just like business development pitches for me. 
some you kind of go, well, that was a waste of time. You know, like, you know, yeah, yes. you kind of think, I don't know why you invited me into the room. <laughs> this is like, no, no I, one wants this. <laughs> I will. I had. Yeah. It's so it's sort of like uh, I'm, I'm, I'm not coming up with a movie comparison, but it is a little bit like this next fundraise, when, when, which will be, I think, in the new year sometime, like um, I, I'm going into be a little bit more grizzled about it, a little bit more like like there were a couple pitches to your exact point where I was like, oh, not going well, but like, let's dig in and like finish this thing. And I think I will be more prepared this time because yeah. we have a, we're much we're in a much stronger position. Not not to be rude, but be like, I think maybe we can just wrap this up. It's not yeah. feeling like like because you can also tell by not even on so many people ask questions where you're like, okay, you just don't get it, and that's fine. VCs have different verticals, they have different areas of focus, they have different expertise. But it might be like, look, I just can tell like this, you know, yeah. takes some more time to think about it. But yeah, I, I do think um, I'm I did that exactly, and I just was like, time to just slam through it i guess and yeah. not anymore yeah yeah no it's a tough one did it um you, you said about iteration um i'm really interested in this uh, we, we we had the guys from superseed on and, and and jared made the point that what was quite difficult was to know what feedback to take on board and and maybe change the pitch and even potentially change the offering um and know when to kind of dig in and go no i'm right this is something to stand by um how do you how do you kind of manage that it's really hard yeah. uh it's really hard and i will say a phenomenal piece of advice that i did not take before i started marble was i talked to the founders of young alfred who are amazing jason and david and they were like do not be a solo founder and they were like they list they laid out all these reasons and one of their main reasons was that like fundraising is brutal and having someone who can kind of tag team that with you um, and it is important. And I've learned that I think when I say tag team, having someone who could have been in the room and be like, you know, provided that extra sort of foundation of being like, no, no, no keep going. You're right about that. Or like, hey, that's good feedback. Um, because when you're alone, especially when you're doing kind of final round pitches where you're maybe pitching a whole group of partners, it's like pretty isolating. Because I mean, you literally are, you know, on Zoom too, you have like, tile, 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 you know, you look them all on LinkedIn, you're like, oh my God, these are, you know, heavy hitters. And mm. someone, someone picks up one part of your business. So um, what, what I sort of developed, so, so two things happened that I think helped. One is that we, we launched our product in the midst of fundraising. And very quickly, we were, we were able to see um, things happen that either led credibility to certain messages or made me reconsider uh, how much I dug in on other things. Mm. Um, and I'll, I'll be very specific, you know, for, so two, two things. One is um, the way I described Marble, even at the top of this, this, this conversation um, was not how we used to describe it. We right. used to basically have this very sort of whiplash pitch where it's like, we have consumer. Oh yeah. And we also have enterprise. And only after going through like numerous pitches and getting this sort of, and seeing this sort of like double take when I would switch gears into enterprise, did I, did I step back and say like, okay, you know what, we should actually just talk about it in terms of all the technology we've built mm -hmm. and then ladder it down. But don't do this sort of hard pivot into like, we because people are like, are you two companies in one? Like what's yeah. going on? Yeah. Um, the, the thing that I sort of dug into more, which is funny, or I find sort of funny is like many venture capitalists did not buy 
that we could give enough rewards to make people engage with Marvel. Mm-hmm. And I would hear a lot like, oh, I would never do anything for five bucks, never do anything for 10 bucks. And, you know, I, I, and I have regrets about this, but I was like, I would sort of take it like, yeah, you know, maybe we should like look at the amounts. Turn, then we launched the product and people are flying through it. People want to earn rewards. They want to engage. There's other things that are useful besides rewards, but people, people, we just did a quiz. Like we had hundreds of our users do a quiz for a dollar. And it's like, oh, maybe like some of the richest people in the world, venture capitalists, are not a good barometer of how many rewards are useful to people. <laughs> so it's like, and I think I should have probably like put that together in the room a little bit more. But I was like, I was very much like, yeah, you're right. But then I'm like looking at all our like thousands of users like doing it. I'm like, oh, maybe not everyone in America is a venture capitalist. Yeah. Um, and maybe people do want, you know, an Amazon gift card. I mean, I do. Um, yeah. So yeah. that was the only thing. That was a classic thing where the product started to give me confidence to dig back in on something that I had actually backed off of. Thing is, I think there's another thing as well to look at something in uh, just talking about reward, looking at something in out context. Because, for, for example, I would probably say I wouldn't be that bothered to do something for five bucks. But then I've got a Coinbase account and yep. I like nothing more than running through the questions on some new crypto because I get, you know, five yes. dollars worth of that crypto, you know. Um, we were just, yes. They've gamified it. And I've got five minutes, I'm making a coffee. I'm like, yeah, I'll make five bucks. Well, you know. We were just talking about that, the, the Coinbase quizzes. And, and yeah, I mean, again, I, I couldn't agree more. I yeah. couldn't agree more. I mean- well, I'll, I'll do it all for for because because and and you know it's I think it's the relationship as well with people have with their phones and what yes, you, yes. It, it it's so much that's outside of kind of the kind of financial reward it's 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 a win it, it registers in your brain as I've won something or I've achieved something or it's it's that psychology um I, I won't tell you about it. I'm sure this is the basis. No, no, but it, it is, it, 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 it is like, I do it too. Like, I mean, I do it on all sorts of things uh, out in or out of marble. Right. It's just like, um, it's very human. Yes, I agree. So um, uh, I'm going to skip some of the more investing stuff. Cause I think that's, um, you know, I think that's some stuff that um, could, you could write a massive blog post. In. It sounds like, <laughs> um, I want to talk to you about your team. Um, yeah, you, you're running a fairly small team, Team Vape, which you mentioned. Um, you're, you're a year in. Um, something you said to me in a previous conversation, I thought was really interesting. You, you mentioned that you were doing too much. Um, and I wanted to understand what you meant by that, and, and then what you've kind of implemented to kind of adapt. Yeah, I am. Um, I, I think that like stretching. I'm I'm of the sort of school of thought, I guess or whatever, maybe it's not a school. I'm, I'm comfortable stretching a little bit more and having and asking my team and our team to, to stretch a little more than to overhire. Because if we stretch, we can extend our burn. We can sort of really um, identify where the needs are. Because I think some staffing needs or some hiring needs or some talent needs can be passing, right? Can be temporal or like temp- temporary rather. So um, I've definitely been a part of companies and teams where a project comes up, an initiative happens, a time a reporting cycle occurs, and you're like, we need someone to do this. And then like a year later, you're like, why? What is this person's job again? And it's like, oh, well, they were hired to solve this. And in fact, you know, if you can sort of hire an early team of kind of uh, fairly flexible individuals, you you might find that these things don't, don't sustain the need. Mm-hmm. Um, conversely, uh, you can see sustained needs stand up and be like, okay, now that is a full role we need. Yeah. And um, 
So, so, so what we've done internally is I think we've done two things. You know, I, I like to think pretty, pretty well. Uh, one is that we have a phenomenal group of like outside um, consultants and advisors and uh, what I would say, like, I mean, part-time experts, uh, who, all of whom who have other things in their life. So they, they, they're looking to work part-time. You know, Adi, my CTO, and Isabel, uh, our head of marketing, we all have these great networks. This is not our first rodeo. So we've been able to bring in Matthew Stevens, who is building his own design practice, but used to lead design for the Zebra. And he helps us and is really a huge guide and, and, and sort of counsel for us on the design front. We have Bethany Buer, who used to work with us on marketing at General Assembly, me and Isabel. And she's pursuing things in her uh, professional life, but also has some hours to give us on marketing. And she can knock out, you know, email copy, email code. So we built this, like, what I would say, like very efficient and agile additional vertical of like six, six other um, kind of experts who can help us tackle stuff. Um, and that, that has given us a lot of flexibility in terms of both cost structure and punching way above our, our, our weight. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing too, is that I'm just a nut about process. Like I'm, you know, I'm constantly tweaking processes, updating processes, documentation, workflows. And I think we've just been able to use all this sort of to your point about like the, the, you know, having that conversation with that salesperson, like I will eke every bit of functionality out of something that we pay for, like Trello, Jira. Like I will get any sort of efficiency out of it I can before we we go and hire someone. Mm. Um, and and that's been good. I, I do think to to your to answer your question though directly, like you know, my career has led me through being like a financial consultant to then like I like was the GM of this like boot coding boot camp, and then I did you know market. I've done a lot, so I'm I'm always very tempted to just to like jump in and do something myself. And I think that I'm trying to learn that that is actually not only um, am I not as good as the people on the team we have to do those things. Uh, it's actually like I need to be out in front a little bit more, um, not from a vanity perspective, not because it's like the CEO or whatever, but because like that's that's actually the part I play on the team is like pulling us forward. So it might feel good and like feel like I'm pulling my weight if I go in and like code a few emails, but that's actually over a long timeline, a detriment to the company. Yeah. Yeah. There's a, yeah, there's a huge part on that. And I think particularly the sort of founder principle is that, you know, you, you're usually a founder because you've got either an elite skill set in one area or you've got a really broad skill set and, and the right ideas. And, and then I do see these businesses where, um, you know, there's always an interesting point for me because I, I work with a lot of seed, series A, series B businesses. And that, that, that kind of friction where the founder met everyone and interviewed everyone before they hired. And then as they grow, you see yeah. the kind of that becomes a bottleneck sometimes as just one example. It's my world. No, it is such a bottleneck. It's such, it, I mean, I, I, I mean, I, you can look at, but I, there, I have worked at companies that have been hundreds of employees and, you know, the CEO does, I mean, insist on interviewing anybody, yeah. everybody. And it's like, what are we doing here? Yeah, like yeah. this might be the only time I talk to the CEO in my multiple if I were here. <laughs> like, so like, why would I talk to this person now? Yeah, I, I, especially when um, on the day to day basis. Yeah, exactly. It, it, the, I'm never going to interact with this person. Yeah, like, and, and and the CEO probably isn't the best judge of whether that person is the right person at all. Um, so yeah, I mean that's just one example, but but you see that, and I think that I think the challenge of letting go, but having the flexibility, having a really highly skilled you know, bench of talent that you can flexibly work with is is a massive boon and, and I, it's a 
Yeah, I, I, what I get the conversation I have more than any other um, is probably people that don't have the network looking for me to help because you know, for example, if you've got a really good idea, I, I probably have ten conversations a week about someone wanting to get some sort of part-time CTO. And yeah, yeah you know, um, it's I'm, an unbelievable. I feel very yeah. <laughs> no, no. I mean, I feel very privileged to have it have this network, and I mean, I think it's fun. You know, what's interesting is that, you, and I'm sure you've seen this yourself, right? Like second time founders have such an easy time raising money. I'm so envious of them. And I'm a first time founder and, and really all, but what I always want to try to express to, to people is like, yes, I may be a first time founder. We may be sort of a first time team starting this early, uh, but uh, this is not anyone's first time round generally, right? Like all of our executive team have phenomenal networks in the New York tech scene mm-hmm. and um, I think this sort of full-time and part-time flex structure we've built is a reflection of the fact that like we're able to dip into it and not only find people we trust, but like industry pros that we trust. Yeah. And um, I don't know that we've, I, I honestly don't know that we've been given the sort of credit for that in the, at least in the investment market, which I always come back to, but you know, as an early stage company and founder, it's where my brain always goes, mm. but like we've been able to plug some gaps and grow through some gaps uh, that again, while, we, while I may not have experienced fundraising that much, I have like a LinkedIn and like an email inbox of people. I can be like, you are the one of the top, you know, 50 people that I can think of. Do you want to come work on this with us? Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's, that's great. And I, I always say to people, it's like when people think LinkedIn, for example, um, yeah, I talk to loads of people who don't utilize it enough. And, and, and I'm stunned by that because, you know, it is, it is such a good, it's a good tool to do that sort of stuff in a lazy way. I mean, we were talking about ITC, yeah. you know, conferences, um, these things are all great, but the physical, you have to be there. You have to kind of engage or exhausting, you know, things like LinkedIn um, are such a good kind of opportunity to do that. Podcast, another one, you know, any, any time yeah, no, you but it, it, reach out and speak, right? It is. And like, you don't have to, you know, people love to tease on LinkedIn about, you know, various sort of ways that people use it. But, you know, you don't, it's sort of like judging Instagram for one type of content on there or whatever. Like you, you can use LinkedIn in a way that is like, you know, kind of still quote unquote, like a normal person and like, and use it to your advantage. Like I love to see when people I used to work with are like promoted or have, you know, and like just using it as touch points, like ultimately it could just kind of be like, another way to stay engaged with people mm-hmm. doesn't you don't need to post your like i wake up at 6 a.m and like do a thousand crunches routine <laughs> um you can just you can just like you could just say congrats on the new job and like be a be a polite friend you know oh, I, lo- I love that stuff that stuff cracks me up um <laughs> that stuff is that stuff is so funny i would pay i would i would give a lot to have every one of those people who proves it like have to verify it with LinkedIn or something. Be like, no, we'll we'll let you post it, but like you got to show us that you get up at four and like. I, I, I had a like funny, the hard um, four. I ha- I'll get this back on track and talk about insurance in a second. Yeah. But, I, um, but I um I had a really funny example of that. So I I did my first ultra marathon this this year. Um, yeah. Wow. And it was important to me. It was something that I'm. Yeah. I just wanted to see whether I could and. I'm not a runner. I've never run a marathon, and I decided I was going to run um, 109 kilometers with my mate. Is that I was going to say? What is the distance of an ultra marathon? It's I think it's 50. Anything that's 50k and above, and this was 109. 
and and so we did it and we did it you know we did a good job of it and we weren't that quick you know but we did it in 15 hours and 25 minutes and so i was really pleased about it and and look i don't share that much personal stuff but i was like this is great and it was great because i did it with my friend and there's a bit of a story to that and he's from the industry i'm in anyway i put it up and then this guy who i do not know i have no connection with we're not connected to put up a photo of himself and just for the faster time and like that's the only thing he put up i was like i don't know i don't know what you want me to respond with i'm like oh you beat me i was like <laughs> it's one of the oh that is like people are wild sometimes <laughs> like it's like i'm just trying to think about all the steps and I know we should get like all the stuff that goes through like, okay, I'm going to, okay, like I'm going to read out this post. All right. I'm going to like, now I'm going to go into my camera roll and I'm going to select my photo. Now I'm going to post it. Now I'm not going to contextualize it or even offer a like cursory, like, Hey, glad to have you in the ultra runners club. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. just drop that on link. I mean, he could wow. have done some just humble brag of going, I welcome to the club. I just did this. It was yeah, even that, it still would have rolled my eyes, but I would have been like, all oh, right, you did like a yeah. passing attempt. Yeah. Like, and then, yeah. then, I was, then I was tempted to continue it because there's a guy, and I think he works for Beasley, who did this like 268 mile run. And I was going to tag him, and I was like, well, you better take it up with this guy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, have you seen this guy's time? He's really serious, you know. You can, um, you can just Photoshop his time and just keep it, keep making it higher <laughs> until it's until yours is faster. Well, well it's funny, like it's funny too. My I uh I, I got married right at the start of the pandemic in October 19, and um uh my my wife and I were fortunate to have like a little write-up in the New York Times. Mm. And the New York Times posted it to LinkedIn. They didn't post it to Twitter, they didn't post it to Facebook, they just posted it to LinkedIn. So I started getting all these notifications, and it was like my friends being like commenting on i was like who what's happening on linkedin and it's like this like it's like because everyone's like don't post anything anything on personal linkedin and it's like this like photo of my wife and i getting married and like this like new york times article about us and i'm like i didn't do this this is not me i'm take it up with the times like i did not want this on here <laughs> that's funny i i think i think personal stuff's fine and i think some of it, yeah i don't mind i actually it. think some of it's good i think i think to, and that, that's taken me a long time to get to. I, I spent a long time in, in my job, particularly trying to pretend that I fit in. Um, and then actually embracing the stuff that makes you a bit different is, is, is positive. Um, but anyway, I could talk for hours on LinkedIn and I probably will. So I, I, I wanted to get back to Marvel. Um, yes. Uh, I can't decide whether... I, I suppose, I suppose the, the summary of this question is like, what's the end goal? Because... You know, is reward um, a big enough play on its own? Um, but with reward, you know, uh, how does the business create value for itself? What's what's the kind of journey on on sort of ROI for you? I mean, I I think the the very you know for the for the sake of like the the being honest in the interview, part of this is we will let the market demand lead us to that answer and what i mean by that or to put that in a less jargonly way like we kind of need to find out um because i have some some ideas that i'll explain but like you know we it's early days yet and we have some really promising results but like um there's a difference between promising results for a startup and like a billion dollar company um my my sincere like 
thing that I'm going to try to haul us towards, and we're getting the results that we need to see for that, mm-hmm. is that you get marble before you even have insurance. We want, in the same way that you get a Robinhood or a Mint before you have a budget or before you start trading stocks or what have you, you know, Coinbase with crypto, you go to Marble because we are a credible way for you to learn, organize, and feel engaged with this really important household asset, trillion-dollar asset mm-hmm. class that protects the things you love. So we will have achieved our consumer mission if we actually are the conduit to how you protect your stuff and the people you care about. And if we do, and that requires doing a lot of things right, building trust, building community, building rewards that are meaningful, building a shopping experience that actually saves people money. Like none of this is easy stuff, Mm. but um, I think one of the big surprises that we've seen, um, frankly, is how much people want to use just the wallet function, right? Like, you know, the other critique that we often had was people was like, oh, people come in for rewards and they'll leave. And like that really, and I'm not saying this for the benefit of, of any listeners at this point, like that's really not true. You know, we're seeing three policies per user in most cases. People are putting their new policies in. People need a way to digitize and understand and, and organize this stuff. Uh, so I, I, my, my real goal on the consumer side is like, you're like, okay, Johnny, Jill, you're getting your first car, your your first house. Make sure to set up your Marble account, and then you'll and then you'll sort of put this. Um, then you might get insured by Lemonade or Travelers, or whatever. But it's all going to go through this process because you'll earn some rewards, and you can ask for questions or tips. So that that's like that's the view there. And then I think casting a line out, uh, and we talked about some previous previous conversation that then unlocks us to do some really cool stuff in terms of do we look at picking up risk ourselves? Do we look at setting up? you know, MGA carrier relationships where we can actually sort of identify cool products that we could sell. Because the other thing is like our CAC for our consumer product or like cost for acquisition is like a fraction of a fraction of what carriers pay today. Mm -hmm. So if we can find a way to sell risk into that, we can have a very profitable business. Um, And... Sorry, so it's because you're not not trying to sell them anything really in a way. Exactly. You're, You're saying, here's this thing that helps you manage this really difficult part of your life so if you then wanted to turn on i suppose the, ch- the challenge is making it so you don't become someone that's trying to sell them something exactly um, you know there's a real there's some truly incredible companies that predate us by years you know cover jerry gabby young alfred policies they've done that right we're not trying to get into that space they were too slow too small and and it's not novel mm-hmm. um so for us you know, I, I started it better on the acquisition side. And the hardest thing about selling a mortgage is very similar to the hardest thing about selling insurance is you got to find that person the moment they're talking to a realtor, the moment they're buying a car. So you have a very small window and a very crowded field to talk to everyone who wants to buy your product. What we talk about internally with Marble is that we don't have a crowded field yet, though it's getting more crowded. Mm-hmm. And we want to talk to you whenever. Do you have insurance? You don't have insurance? You're planning on insurance? We don't care. What insurance, which insurance, family, just use Marble. It's useful. People like it. People, we have a huge group of ambassadors who signed up for no benefit other than they are evangelists for us. Like it's just a useful product. Um, So that's like, that's my like deep seated goal. I also, you know, as a more sort of rational, cool headed business owner have to say, I, you know, I'm very intrigued to work with carriers on these loyalty white 
white labeled co-branded products. Mm-hmm. It's maybe a little bit less of like a world defining strategy, but it's a great business and it could really shift the way people relate to their insurance carriers. Mm-hmm. So there's a world where Andor, I reserve the right to do like Andor, we we become a really trusted partner to power engagement with insurance carriers. Mm-hmm. Um, both are good businesses. I would like to continue to do both. Um, I think they use the same technology, so they're a natural adjacency. Um, I think in the next two years, we'll sort of see which one shakes out as the dominant sort of as the, as the winning factor. Mm. What's, um, I wanted to, I was going to ask you about carriers as well, because I know it's on your website about you kind of work directly with Sam. Um, so that's, that's a white labeling of, 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 of the kind of reward proposition. Um, carriers and, and startups don't always kind of make brilliant <laughs> bedfellows, right? Um, so from your side, from the kind of small startup perspective, what would you want carriers to know about working with a, a startup? I, um, I think, so, so we, we are working with a, a you know, a, what I would term like the most quintessential traditional carrier, million plus policies in force, national auto home book. Um, we're going to go live with them next month with a fully white labeled, beautiful rewards program. And in many ways, they've really not acted like this traditional sort of scary carrier. They've moved quickly. They've been flexible in, in across a couple different teams. Um, and they've, they've, they've sort of, to give a more tactical answer, they've carved out a dedicated team to work with us. And that team has a mandate where they can really kind of move outside of the existing structures of the team. And I think that's really important. Mm. Um, and the reason it's important, and I would say this to carriers or startups or other insure techs who want to work with like small startups, is like, to put it very bluntly, like, we don't have much time, right? We're sort of like a butterfly. You know, we we live and die. We live and die. We live and die. You said this like at the top of the call too. We fail fast. Mm-hmm. Um, if you want to use our stuff, you think it's interesting, you need to get, you don't need to move as fast as us, but you need to be ready to have a team or a test that can move as fast as us because um, we may not always thrive long enough to give you the results that we think we can deliver, which we think are really good and we want mm-hmm. to deliver. And yeah, we want to make money from it. But we also want to make, Sure, you make money. Mm. So I think just like what I would what I would hope carriers would realize that it's like some startups are not eager or pushy because uh, they want to just make money. Which again, it's a business as part of it. It's also like we can feel the the threat of our own mortality a little bit. You know, I, I measure my bank account in months, not yes. not not years. <laughs> so it's like I, I got to get something tested in while in the wild so I can keep providing value. Um, so that, that's just like, I, I, sometimes I wish there's a little bit more, uh, sympathy toward, towards that circumstance. Mm, yeah. Yeah. I was laughing at that because I was only thinking about my own <laughs> fragile, <laughs> yeah. you know, I, I run a two man business. I'm, I'm, I'm probably going to, I'm hiring at the moment and I'm probably going to hire a couple more, but, um, I was thinking for about two years, it's probably been, you know, COVID was horrendous for the recruitment industry in my world and then it's been a brilliant year this year because everyone's kind of opened up but you know probably only just stepped outside that really fragile environment where you're looking at it going you know when I've been on these pitches where I'm going this is a waste of my time you know that's 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 when you think it's it's frustrating but then the other side of that is as you as you were just saying, some people really get it. They they dedicate a team to it, yes. and when it works, it's 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 so rewarding. Um, so um, yeah, I, I was going to ask you as well. I mean, that's the future we've kind of touched on briefly. Um, 
I'm, I'm, I was actually, I wanted to throw something in that I hadn't thought about. Would, I suppose taking the kind of wallet principle to a kind of full um, commercial offering is, is probably, most insurance is arguably too complex, but certainly in the kind of SME space, um, small yeah. business. Yeah. Um, is, is that on the kind of horizon? Because I'm sitting here going, I had to find out where, who I was paying insurance to just by looking at my bank accounts, couldn't remember. Um, uh, yes. It, it's, uh, it's funny. It's actually one of the earlier conversations we had when we were fundraising was from a large commercial broker who was like, we would love this yeah. for our book. And we and actually, they would, there's some talk of like, we would love rewards too, like because um, we could incentivize our businesses in our book to do risk assessments, to do HR training, to do you know harassment training, things that actually, again, in aggregate, make them a better risk too so um it's uh it is something that i think would lead my amazing cto to put his head on his desk if i was like it's time for commercial because we're too we're too lean and too small but like there is no you know almost to the sort of again the topic we were talking about of like the many kind of diff frictions within insurance one nice thing about them again is that it there is some uniformity too right like it is fundamentally risk that can be improved. There are expenses that can be alleviated and there's retention that can be sustained. And there's no reason that the same fundamental things cannot work across personal and commercial. If those, if you, if you accept those three things exist in both places, which I would argue they do. Mm -hmm. So we would love to get into it. It's just lands to conquer and, and how, how big the team we can sort of um, how big and how efficient the team we can build to, to take at, to take them on. Um, and I think at some point too, and we've talked about this on previous conversation, like at some point too, it'll be time to really bring in a true insurance expert partner. You know, I, I kind of play at the role, but I've been at this for like four years or so. Um, it'll be time, I think at some point to bring in someone, a true executive credible position who can help us navigate these in a way where we don't maybe step on every single landmine, which is kind of what we do today. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, uh, yeah, it's funny. I'm, I'm only laughing because I'm like sometimes that's the only way of stumbling forward. It's just I know, I know, I know. I'm not, I'm not regretting us, but it's, it's like a series of survived explosions. Um, yeah, it would be nice to have someone in the future who's like, ah, yeah, that's, you're gonna, that's gonna hurt. Yeah, no, I completely <laughs> agree. Well, look, Stuart, I won't take any more of your time. Uh, conscious as well uh, to sort of uh, keep, 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 keep the podcast to a manageable level. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, one last thing I just wanted to ask you in terms of, you know, what's next on the immediate horizon? When are you when are you raising money next if people are interested? And and where's the best place to kind of reach out to you if anyone's kind of interested in hearing more? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, I, I think the next the next big ones for us are we we have a couple of other enterprise partners in the pipeline, and we'd love to get one stood up maybe January, depending on how quickly they can move. Um, so that'll be exciting. The, on the consumer side, what we're most excited about and our consumers are most excited about is that we do have a mobile app launching in January, which like is the most requested feature. 80% of our users, 83% of our users have joined the wait list for it. Sure. Um, so clearly we probably should have done it a little sooner, but it's coming. And I'm excited to have that and play around with it. Um, and uh, and then, yeah, we'll probably be fundraising. I think we'll probably start the fundraise in February of next year. Um, I don't know if that'll look like an A or like a seed plus or, I, you know, the terms are all sort of meaningless to me. But uh, and that'll hopefully power our growth, you know, to, to really scale the business, um, both businesses in like into like industry standard software or industry standard products. 
Uh, and yeah, I'm just Stuart at Moral Pay. It's easy with a UA. Stuart with a UA. Um, or, or as we talked about, you always find me on LinkedIn too. I got, I'm always on LinkedIn. Yeah. Um, my wife is muted me on LinkedIn because she can't stand to read my posts. Uh, but you can post to me and, uh, and I'll, I'll get it. So I'm, I'm, I'm pretty available in multiple different avenues. Awesome. Brilliant. Stuart, <laughs> it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you. Yeah, so Alex, thanks so much for having me on. Cheers, buddy. Bye. As always, this podcast is brought to you by FinPro Search Partners, often simply known as FinPro. FinPro is an executive recruitment business working in the insurance and insure tech space on an international basis. If you would like to find out more about FinPro, please visit our website, www.wearefinpro.com or our FinPro company page on LinkedIn. I've been your host, Alex Bond, and I would personally love to connect with anyone who is interested in the changing world of insurance. So feel free to reach out to me directly, um, either on LinkedIn or via my email, uh, alex at wearefinpro.com. I hope you enjoyed the podcast, and I hope to see you back next week. Thank you.